Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello and welcome to a musical journey like no other, giving you an in-depth, invigorating, and exclusive look at the newest Smashing Pumpkins concept album, Autumn. This is 33 with William Patrick Corgan. This is the ninth step on this interstellar musical expedition. If it's your first time listening to 33, welcome. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thanks for being fans and thanks for tuning in. On this episode, like every episode of 33, we're going to have a world premiere of a song from the album Autumn. This time, the song is titled Beyond the Veil. As always, we're going to break down the story, the lyrics, and the melody of the song with Smashing Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan. We're also diving into some classic tracks from the Billy Corgan catalog. On this episode, we're listening to and analyzing Never Lost from the 2007 album Zeitgeist. Our guest on today's episode of 33 is Lisa Vale. We're going to talk about her meeting Billy for the first time, the early alternative rock scene that she was seeing in San Diego, and Lisa's battle with multiple sclerosis. I'm Joe Galley, one of your hosts for 33, and joining us on this journey is my friend and broadcast partner, Kyle. Hey, that's me. Uh, thank you as always, Joe. Happy to be here. And, and everybody listening to this, your support means the world to us. And a friendly reminder that we want to hear from you and reach out while you're listening to this social media. Use the hashtag WPC33 spelled out. Also, like, review, rate. Tell your friends, make this thing bigger, no matter where you get your podcast. Help us make that happen. Help us bring more of this content to you. WPC, your busy man between dealing with us as we build the National Wrestling Alliance. We've got a pay-per-view right around the corner on November 12th from Chalmay, Louisiana. Looking forward to that hard times three tickets at nwaticks.com. Hashtag plug. You're performing almost every day of the week while on the last leg of the Spirits on Fire Tour with Jane's Addiction. You got Spokane, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland. The list goes on. I just want to say your scheduled chaos that is your life. As always, thanks for being a part of it. In the words of Tom Jones, what's new pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I love you, Kyle. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I don't know how to jump in on that intro. Uh, I'm, I'm still on. Ch- yeah, I don't know how, how many people have called Billy a pussycat. <laughs> well, I appreciate the warmth. I'm going to go I was with feeling it. Uh, I'm a big Tom Jones fan, so yeah. that doesn't bother me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now I got the song in my head. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where to go with that other than I'm well. I'm, I'm getting over a bit of a cold. I don't like to talk about when I have colds on tour because it's, you know, you sit there and say, oh, I got a cold tonight and sort of excuse the fact that you're croaking through your songs. Uh, but I was able to get through a week of having a cold and uh, play some really good shows. Thankfully, the band's been playing great and the uh, crowds have been massive. Biggest tour the band's been on since 97. So our minds are blown. Great openers in, in Jane's Addiction, Our Lady Peace, Poppy, Meg Myers. Very, very happy with this tour. And we're going to end in a resounding way here in a minute at the Hollywood Bowl, which is already sold out. Historic venue, of course, in uh, Los Angeles. So going to be a beautiful end of the tour. And then I'm going right back in the studio to start a new record. But we're here to talk about the album that's coming out called Autumn. We're on the song Beyond the Veil, which you'll find out later has something to do with my friend Lisa Vale. So that's a little teaser for you. Let's talk storyline. So last we knew, um, you had this communication between June and Osira, and June has sent from space down to Osira the geo coordinates of her little treasure chest. And so Osira and Nighthawk, they're kind of, oh, this is cool. We're on a little treasure hunt now. Again, they have no idea that somebody's writing them from space. All they know is that they got these geo coordinates. For all I know, they're in some sort of weird internet game. So they jump on the thing. They certainly know it has to do with shiny. But again, that might be part of the game for all the heck they know. So they're in their car and they're on their way to what becomes an abandoned sort of warehouse factory type of thing to find this mystery chest. Unbeknownst to them, the X and I, which is the governmental authority that oversees all dissident activity, is also on their way to the warehouse to intercept them. And as you'll find out in the story, kill them because they're about to get something they shouldn't have their hands on. So little Osira and uh, Nighthawk get out of their car. Hey, we have this cool warehouse, ba 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 ba. And here comes the X and I firing their laser guns at them, trying to kill them, because whatever is in that box is very, very dangerous to the governmental authority. We became an action movie all of a sudden. I'm freaking loving this. This definitely See? had that vibe. We've See, said it before. Some, you said it was just some intellectual riff. Now you realize it's a real thing. You got to reel in all the people that might not have been on that level. I'm loving it. And we've talked about it before, but this is one of those songs where I just also feel this is your art, but commercialism every now and then isn't a bad thing. This thing has commercial video package for sports written all over it. I'm just putting that out there. Well, when I think e-gaming and violence, you're my target audience, Kyle. And so I'm glad that this game connected with you. But you're you're like a gamer to be. In fact, given your life circumstance, I get a sense there's a lot of video games in your future. Yep, I'm going to have to hit reset plenty of times. (laughs) So um, (laughs) I don't know where that goes in terms of content. But uh, yeah, so Osira and uh, Nighthawk go into the warehouse. They're able to escape the evading laser guns. Uh, is that even a phrase, the evading laser guns? No, it isn't. It's a song anyway, they're able to the evade the now. laser guns. Thank you. Yes, exactly. That sounds like a song title. They're able to evade the laser guns. They get into the building. Now they know they're going to, uh, they're into something deeper than they expected. Their lives are in danger. They scurry through the building. They're able to find June's little treasure chest and they're able to escape just barely with their lives. That's is that good for the action part of the movie, Kyle. And, uh, <laughs> They're able to kind of get away. And so this song is sung from the perspective of the X and I basically saying, we're coming to get you because you're into things that you shouldn't be into. It's interesting that we're getting that antagonist perspective from it at this point, because it's kind of always just been out in the ether. Like we talk about the big bad, but this is kind of our first experience with whether it is the big bad or the henchmen that are getting involved in actually trying to stop 
potentially a group of heroes from our story. So it's really interesting that we're getting to this point. What I love about the XNI is it's sort of a group of people. They're all dressed the same. They all wear kind of visors, so you don't know who is who, and they all speak as one. So you're not really sure, is there a leader? They're sort of a gang, and when they speak, they speak as one. So there's sort of my favorite part because it's sort of like, it's the mendacity of governmental authority. It's like, who's talking? It's like when people say, well, the government or the administration's feels like, well, who's talking? Are you all talking as one or have you all beaten each other into a consensus for political or social gain? Because even as we know from any movement, and I don't need to name them, but certainly recent movements that are uh, highly charged in terms of social and political change, yes, they'll speak as one, but are they really speaking as one? There's got to be somebody there goes, well, you probably shouldn't say that. And they go, yo, you be quiet. You know, we got to say it this way. I mean, that's how it is being in a band. I oftentimes speak for the band, and trust me, when I speak for the band and the band doesn't like what I say, they let me know, but I still speak for the band. So who's speaking? At least you know it's me, but oftentimes I I cloak myself in the cape of the band, and I say, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins say, what does that mean? It's Billy Corgan saying, under the guise of the Smashing Pumpkins. So when a government spokesperson gets up there and says, well, the administration says, are they really speaking for the administration? That's where it gets kind of weird. So that's what I love about the X and I, the sort of gray area of authority. Could be great for a stage show. And I like too. that it's, you don't know with that sort of hive mind thing, are, are they all independently thinking as one or is it something that's being communicated to them and they're basically just being a tool? And that kind of opens the door for, for more story down the road. Kyle, line. you're such a good interrupter. Did you have something? Because there's something I want to say to get out of this segment. No, because I was also thinking about the fact that essentially, since we don't know who it is or really if it's hive mind, this, that, or the other thing, this is just, I'm, I'm speculating. I feel like this is coming to play down the road and that somebody could make a change from within if they needed to. Ooh, spooky. Let me speak to the hive mind concept. And I think this is a good way to get out before we listen to uh, Beyond the Veil. The commercial track, as Kyle put it. It's a banger. As one of my ex-managers said, it's a banger, bro. I find in my experiences in over 30 years behind the wall of media, and trust me, it is dark in there. It's people get themselves into an institution and they start to adapt the language and code of the institution, even though they personally do not believe in the code of the institution. So I'll give you like a lame example. It's like you get hired by the, uh, the governmental administration for literature, and you are really into radical 1950s beat culture literature, Burroughs, Kerouac, and all that stuff. And so you go and you go, I'm going to have, a, I'm gonna have power. I'm going to have, have this job. I can really influence people and get them to really pay attention to these writers that I really, really love. You walk in the first day in your new job. You've signed the contract. You know, you're going to be making a lot of money. And you walk in and you have that first conversation with a figure of authority. And they go, oh, yeah, we love those writers too. But we have these other priorities. But eventually, we'll get around to your priorities. You just got to work the system a bit. So right now, we're very focused on writers from Mars. That's our agenda this year. So next year, we'll pick up yours, and you'll, you'll be able to kind of put it in that you want to focus on that. But for this year, you have to focus on what we're – you got to work through the system. That's just the way it works here. That, to me, is, is everything behind the wall of media, big sports. Uh, it must be like that in big pharma for all I know. I mean, big institutional culture – they're like battleships. Even the Smashing Pumpkins, to a certain extent, as a smaller culture, it's hard sometimes to turn the battleship. I love that analogy, right? Because it takes a hot second to turn around a big battleship. That's the government. You can't turn it on a dime. Even if uh, the president says tomorrow, everyone's got to read these writers. He, in this case, a he, 
and hopefully soon as she can say, hey, everybody read that. But it doesn't mean the whole government will point in that direction. That battleship needs to be turned. So I'm very fascinated with institutional culture. And Beyond the Veil talks a lot in the lyrics about institutional culture. So when we come back from the break, Beyond the Veil. Now available for pre-order at MadamZuzus.com. The autographed 4LP box set of Autumn, the new album by the Smashing Pumpkin. This 4LP colored vinyl pressing is limited to 1,333 units and will be machine numbered and autographed by the Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corrigan, Jimmy Chamberlain, James Eha, and Jeff Schroeder. The limited edition box set includes the three-act, 33-song rock opera that is Autumn and 10 exclusive unreleased songs over the course of five 7-inch singles that will not be available for streaming or found anywhere else. Go to MadamZuzus.com to pre-order today. Free shipping in the USA. Three-unit limit for order. Pre-order will ship after April 21st, 2023. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to 30 Through the Podcast. This is your host, William Patrick Corgan, with my co-hosts, Joe Galley and Kyle Davis. We're so pleased you're here to hear our new song from the Smashing Pumpkins called Beyond the Veil. Don't know if I can add much to what I've already said, other than that, you know, Kyle talked about the commercial value. Well, yes, that's part of what we do here. And so it's a banger, bro.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You just listened to the world premiere of Beyond the Veil. Great track. So excited to have this and so excited to have our latest guest here on the 33 podcast with William Patrick Horkin, Lisa Vale. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I thought it was cool to invite you on since this track is sort of named in your honor. In fact, I'm going to just go on a limb and say I named it in your honor. The spelling on Vale is V-A-L-E, which is Lisa's spelling. Uh, Lisa and I have known each other for about 15 years, right? Maybe a little 16. longer. 16 years. Yeah, 16. It feels like it feels like half of that. But here we are. I met Lisa during the uh, recording of Zeitgeist era, Pumpkins, and we've been friends ever since. We'll get to some of the reasons I wanted Lisa on the podcast today. Uh, Lisa's not an artist. Lisa's not a, a music artist, anything like that. Lisa's just my friend, um, but probably one of the smartest people I know. And I think the coolest place to start is... You grew up in sort of the San Diego area. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah. Wasn't there sort of a yeah, military base in there somewhere, though? Um, well, prior to prior to San Diego, there was a time spent in the Philippines. Right. I, I on, that military, on that military base, yeah. Yeah. So, um, At but the world-famous QBO Club. Right. Tell people about that club a little bit, because I think people will find that interesting. Um, well, in the military, um, definitely in the military, and in terms of aviation, um, especially during World War II, uh, you know, the Philippines had established bases over there. And so going into Vietnam, there was QB Air Base over there. So there was a lot of squadrons going there and there was a club. It was the QBO club. And it was kind of, it became very infamous for fighter pilots, everybody to go there to get out there. A lot of books, military books, military um, movies feature, feature it and the world famous um, cat, which was, uh, it's, it's kind of like the catapult and you have to, kind of hit the tailgate before dropping out of the bar into a ton of water. But uh, my dad ran the club successfully for several years. And when the club was finally closed, they took tons of pictures of the club, deconstructed it and reconstructed it at the United States Naval Museum in Pensacola. And you can go there and it looks almost exactly the same. All the plaques from all the different squadrons. It's, it's a great piece of history. And it's really an, an honor to be able to just go back there and just see it how it was now that the bases are all gone out of the Philippines. 
So you grew up in Indie Kid in the San Diego area and saw a lot of the grunge bands on their way up. Um, list some of the bands that you got to see sort of in the club days, including uh, the Pumpkins. Well, the Pumpkins, you guys, when you guys first blew through, uh, you played the old Casbah. And we talked about that before. You paid 70, 75 people. I remember. Kettner. 75 people. Yeah. Success. And I was way too young uh, to, to go to the Casbah at that time um, when you blew through. There, I mean, there was a lot of amazing things. I mean, I remember the first time. So you're um, the thumper. I'm going to stop. This is a pro podcast. You're the thumper. You're the person thumping. See the thumping that's going on? You're the thumper. Did I thump? I've identified the thumper. Don't thump. Um. <laughs> the Mr. of the Thumper. It's a lot of talking with your hands. I'm guilty of it Me myself. Too. <laughs> when uh, in in uh, the, the the whole West Coast from San Diego all the way up to Seattle, I mean, there was a lot of musicians working together, collaborating with each other, just hanging out with each other, crashing on each other's couches. So word traveled down the line. And I remember the first time in 91 hearing somebody say, oh, you got to check out this band that's up here. Everybody's talking about it. It's Nirvana. Hearing the buzz of uh, in San Diego of Pearl Jam because Eddie Vedder was one of ours. He was a surfer out of San Diego. There was, you know, Stone Temple Pilots, you know, came from San Diego, but no one really kind of heard of them prior to them all of a sudden coming up. They had played under a different name. I think it was Mighty Joe Young's, but not very successfully. And then they just kind of blew up. But So there was that whole kind of sound coming out of there. And then it went all the way up to you know, Seattle, and that kind of trickled back down to San Diego. You got to see a lot of those bands in the formative times. What was your impression of that scene since you were there at, the, at its infancy? Because not a lot of people actually saw those bands in that time. Everybody saw them once they were on MTV. But the Casbah days were yeah. literally the Casbah in San Diego. I, I remember we were driving to San Diego, and I said, how, how many people does the club hold? Because somebody was saying, oh, you guys sold it out. <laughs> I was like, okay, what's that mean? They said 75 people. So imagine going to San Diego for the first time and playing a club held 75 people. It's like playing somebody's living room. So to actually see those bands in that time with those kind of capacities, 100 people and under 150 people, you saw a lot of those bands at the time. So what was your impression of the scene before it blew up? It was really, really kind of incredible because it, it's funny when you start to get into the millennial era where you go to shows and everyone's kind of stood still, like, maybe a couple of head nods, but back then it wasn't, people weren't just in mosh pits or anything like that. I mean, it was just, you could, it was just, you had to be there. You felt like you needed to go to these shows. There was such a buzz about it. Everyone was talking about it. Um, it, it seemed like you would be at a loss if you didn't go to these types of shows. And so everyone was just trying to get to these shows. Oh, did you go to this show? Did you hear that show? This band's coming in town. And, um, I mean, it was really kind of, it was really exciting. It was an exciting time for music. Did you have a question, Kyle? I did have a question. You got to see all these bands before they were ever a major thing. So here you are having a relationship as a fan with the Smashing Pumpkins. And as Billy mentioned, Zeitgeist, you became friends with him. Is there a certain sort of transition that takes place where somebody becomes kind of just a person that exists outside of music to you? Because, I mean, I've had that with Billy where sometimes I go, oh, I know a human being and a rock star. Is that kind of a hard dichotomy to, to deal with once you get to know that person? Well, how we met, I don't know if Billy remembers how we met, but I had come to Thailand on something. And I, while I was here, I ended up seeing, I was looking at into like spiritual type talks on YouTube. And there was some type of philosophical talk that Billy did. And it was really quite interesting. And so when I went back to the States, I was like looking up, like, is he talking about this kind of stuff before? And I hadn't read anything about 
Billy as, you know, other than, okay, he's the head of the pumpkins. So this was very interesting that he would be talking about something that was really, really not what I expected. And so I ended up um, trying to find what he was uh, like doing. It, it was the era of MySpace. And so like, I think that I messaged and asked if I could follow to just be polite. He saw something that I was, I had a nonprofit called Musicians for a Free Tibet at the time. So we said, oh, you know, do you, and that's how we became friends. We started talking about that because he had worked with Tibet um, organizations before. I don't remember that part. I just, I just remember meeting you. <laughs> yeah. So um, the transition, we liked a lot of the same music. The early conversations, we were just talking so much about music and a lot of the same bands that we liked just when we were younger. I mean, I remember sitting and talking about Gene Loves Jezebel, just uh, some Echo and the Bunnymen, of course, and Modern English, some some great bands back then. So um, that was a nice... Yeah, we, we connected on a lot of the bands that really are the formative bands of the alt-rock scene that came up in the late 80s, early 90s that in some cases have been sort of pushed aside by history because they didn't have the advantages. Some of them made MTV, but most of them didn't get the, the level of success that the grunge bands did. And so when you meet a, a true alternative rock fan that grew up in the same time as you, you end up name-checking a lot of the bands that if you're a real fan, you know those those bands' names. Echo and the Bunnymen is like, people always ask me, what's the band that's sort of got the, the raw steel in that exchange? I always say Echo and the Bunnymen. And Echo and the Bunnymen was a big band. But they somehow have not gotten the acclaim and the, and the respect that they deserve um, as one of the greatest bands ever. And so that's like one of those bands that when you talk to a true fan, you end up talking about Echo and the Bunnymen. Gene Loves Jezebel was a great band. Modern English is another great band. Anyway, so let's go ahead and finish your thing about the real Billy, because I'm always fascinated by the real Billy. <laughs> so this is my podcast. We talk about the real Billy. I, th- I think I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick, I'll try to just quickly um, tell you a our, our first, uh, when we went to go hang out and just like eat some food, I ended up, uh, he ended up, I ended up telling him all my weird food stuff. Like I didn't eat vegetables and all this kind of stuff. And he said to me, do you, um, do you eat fruit? And I was like, yeah, I eat fruit. And I went over, stuck a fork in his cantaloupe and it was like so bitter. And then I thought at the time, I'm a lady, I'm not going to spit it out in front of him. So I'm going to like put my head below the table and kind of like spit it out there. But my <laughs> cheek slammed against the table and I lifted my head and yelped out. And then the cantaloupe went flying out of my mouth across the restaurant. And what was funny was that it was nighttime when um, he'd gotten down. And so I'd, I'd gone into this like mom store and I'm like, are you guys still open? And they're like, yeah, we'll take one more order. So the girl must have recognized Billy. And this is in San Diego. It's in Mira Mesa. It's like a small little place because I think she called all staff members because I don't know if you noticed this, Billy, but staff members started coming in in pajamas going, yeah, I'm here just to check the schedule. I think they they all recognized that he was in there and they were doing this. So while that's happening, cantaloupes flying out of my mouth lands in front of this girl and she's looking at me and I look over at Billy and he's just like, Eyes wide, totally mortified, and I just burst out laughing. So that was the introduction of our friendship. <laughs> I think uh, the way Lisa and I always connected was the fact that she's a true musician fan, meaning she loves musicians, she loves music, she loves the culture of alternative music. And so I think she, not to speak for you, but I always got the sense that she got very quickly over the fact that I was a famous person and she was interested in the musician. 
which, you know, the real secret on me is if you really want to talk to me, talk to me about music. Talk to Billy Corgan about music, if that makes any sense. Talk to the real person about music. So we've always connected on that. Lisa lives in Thailand now. Her family had some renown in Thailand. I'll let her speak to that if she wants to. So she's been living in Thailand for about the last 10 years. Do you want to talk about living in Thailand, uh, your reasons, or you want to just kind of gloss over that part? Growing up, it was really difficult. Um, being My dad worked for the government, and so it was just a unit of me, my mom, and dad all the time, and I didn't really get to hang out with cousins and stuff. And I have a huge family here, so I found out I was pregnant with my um, my son, I thought, man, I just, I, I really wanted him to be around his grandparents because my parents had came and retired here. And so even now I've got like a cousin here, a cousin across the street, my uncle's across the street, my mom's next door, um, just a lot of family. And there's just always coming in and out. And it's, it's really lovely. Cousins are coming in and out and it's just, just different. Yeah. So it's interesting because Lisa and I stay in pretty regular touch. And so even though she's, um, of Thai descent. She's an American, basically having a Thai life experience in the middle of her life uh, with her son. And so it's important for Lisa, not to speak for you again, but it's important for Lisa to stay connected to kind of America in, in that way, because she basically walked away from an American life, which was very much of an American life. So she's had this interesting journey where, you know, she started as like a lot of people in our generation did alternative rock, going to clubs, hanging out in the scene. And then, you know, as an adult, uh, she went to uh, Thailand with her son, where she lives full-time now. And then recently, Lisa was diagnosed with MS, and so she's facing a really huge life challenge. And so I also wanted to talk about that today because I feel like our generation, you know, Gen X is at that point where we're sort of facing lots of different challenges, whether it's children or health, uh, life decisions. And I thought it was interesting, your journey. It's hard to compact it, of course, into a into a quick podcast segment. But your journey is very interesting to me because I think Gen X is, is in many ways kind of a lost generation. And that's not to say you're lost, but I think a lot of us have struggled to find kind of like a, a defining kind of a line in our life because on one level, Gen X started so strong with the alternative rock revolution, sort of bringing a ton of ideas into the mainstream. Advertisers used to write articles in the New York Times about how you couldn't even advertise to Gen X because there was no singular voice of Gen X. Gen X was the one generation that, that was so all over the place that you literally couldn't even sell a car to them. And then now you're facing kind of, let's call it these bigger life choices, particularly in terms of your health diagnosis. You've led such a singular life, but that's what I think is interesting is, is so have a lot of other people in Gen X. And because I know you so well, I thought you could kind of speak to that a little bit because I know other people of our generation are facing those kind of similar challenges. Well, I mean, definitely it was one of those types of things. Um, the, the diagnosis came just out of you know nowhere. Um, it kind of forces you to look at everything. And obviously it was one of those things like, wow. And this is coming off of also, and, and I had been thinking about it just prior to that, this is coming off of like Mark Hoppus, you know, having cancer and, 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 putting that out there and talking about that and being really open with that and him being, you know, a, a San Diego hometown boy as well. So that kind of really hit thinking about, oh, these are all the different challenges, yeah, of my generation. I didn't really think about in terms of that, but in just in terms of how did I want to handle this going forward? How did I want to proceed going forward? And what did I want to do with this new kind of information? Because there's so many different ways you can go. To be specific about it, you're at the beginning of that particular journey with uh, facing, you know, such a big diagnosis in MS. 
where are your choices at this moment? Um, if you can kind of be succinct in terms of like, are, are there sort of like, is there t- the traditional medicine path? Is there a sort of, let's call it the old school way of dealing with it, the healthy way of dealing? Where, where are you at on that? I, I definitely had something that was life changing happen to me. And, and, and what it was, was in November, you know, when I woke up one day, I couldn't see out of one eye. I, it was, it was this, it was, as if somebody put a flashlight in my eye and they took it away and all I could see was peripheral and that was all gray. And so my son, Angus, he Googled it, you know, WebMD. And he's like, and I said, well, what does it say? And he's like, you're having a stroke. And so I didn't want to mess with that kind of stuff, you know? So I said, let's go to the hospital right away. And it didn't turn out to be that. They did a bunch of tests. They did a brain MRI, uh, lumbar puncture, which was fun. Um, Spinal MRI, uh, tons of stuff. And they came and said, yes, you do have MS. Okay, now what? And so then they went through the 16 different preventative type treatments that they had here. And the, the range of treatments was kind of crazy. Um, I mean, they started the first one. They said, well, this one has a 35% efficacy rate, but you're going to lose all your hair. And I said, I'm not a vain person, but for 35%, you know, we could do better. And so they went through all these things. And I said, wait a second, this is just all to try to prevent this from happening. They said, yeah. I'm like, but you don't know when it's going to happen. They said, no. And I said, and you don't know how it's going to, how it's going to attack me because with every case it's different. And they said, no. And I said, but if I do get an attack, what would you do? They said, we would treat you with steroids like we're treating you now. And so I said, okay, I'm going to look into other alternative medicines. So when I went back, I spoke to, um, the neurologist, and she said something that literally changed my life. She said, are you going to do a treatment? I said, no. And she said, why? I said, I wanted to see maybe what's causing this. And so she said to me, um, in Western medicine, she is taught to treat symptoms of whatever ailments you have. She goes, but Eastern medicine, they're taught to find out what is the cause of it. And when she said that, completely changed my life and it changed the way that I thought about things. It changed my lifestyle. And the first thing I did was I started taking everything off the table that didn't impact me in a positive or a good way. And as silly as that sounds, it started lightening the load a little bit here and there. Um, I started, Billy would be proud. I started eating veggies. Um, he's, <laughs> That's shocking. Finally got Um, you there. So, uh, finally got me there. So, um, but, but, you know, doing all those changes and then feeling good and I feel fantastic. I feel better than I've ever felt. I'm healthier than I've ever felt. I went and just got a bunch of, you know, work done and everything looks good. And so I sat there and I said, yeah, you know, I think that is a a, a big way to look at it of of changing your mindset on, on a lot of things. And, getting rid of the stuff that is not good for you, whether it be people, whether it be, you know, things that you're doing repetitively that you don't need to be doing. If you're not doing the things you love, then what's the point? I can only imagine going through such a life-changing experience and it really makes you kind of reevaluate everything as you stated. Do you have any advice for anybody as far as like a a precursor or something that people can, you know, kind of prepare themselves? Because obviously this is happening more as generations go on. We find out that there's always these health things as we get older. Do you have some advice for people that are going through a similar experience that that you learned or just maybe preventative that you've discovered? 
the, the first thing I asked them, I said, you know, what, what do you guys think is the cause of MS? And they didn't know. And so, you know, with, with a lot of autoimmune diseases, there's not any kind of a, a warning type thing, in, like, like my case, until it happens. And they don't know, you know, I, I recently was reading an article about Christina Applegate having MS and, and it really limiting her mobility. And so, and, and she was diagnosed at about the same time I was, but for her, it happened in a completely different way. So it, it it's hard because it doesn't happen the same with everybody. The doctor said part of it is lack of vitamin D. So, and I thought, oh, okay, so I'm just going to start going out in the sun more. So <laughs> that's what See, I said. That's the goth thing, right? We're all so pale. Um, so uh, God bless on that because, you know, I'm your friend and I'm I'm there with you. So it's it's hard to kind of jump over it because... It's the most important thing we'll talk about today. But since we're here to talk about music too, you're one of the only people that was around uh, Jimmy and I when we were making Zeitgeist. In fact, you might have been the only person around Jimmy and I when we were making Zeitgeist. We tend to run a pretty closed shop. Full disclosure, Jimmy Chamberlain loves Lisa too. And so uh, so Lisa was allowed to come and hang out at our sessions. And so I, I'm, I'm curious because I tend to kind of gloss over these memories because in my mind, they're always so painful making an album and I just want to shut the door and kind of forget about it until I'm going to write a book or something. But uh, can you share some of your memories of the Zeitgeist sessions? Because you were probably the only person we let in the sessions. I will say the, the first thing, it was a huge, huge honor to be able to see Billy and Jimmy working together and seeing them work together. Then all of a sudden it was one of those kind of aha, I get the pumpkins. Like, I get it now. I get why this music is so good and the way that it is because just them together. To say it's magical is is really just not doing it any kind of justice, but it's just the way that they move together. I even got to see you play drums um, in, in there one time. <laughs> poor, poorly. I'm a poor, poor drummer. Yeah, it was probably, yeah. I think it was, it was my, my dad was there too. We were, and um and and he said the whole time he was a bad drummer, but it wasn't it wasn't bad at all. It was an amazing experience just to be able to sit, and I would sit sometimes behind him, and just hear them work. And even you know just a, a lot of times saying you know more of this, more of this, that this particular sound so precise in what they were looking for. Yeah, just incredible. And I love that it was loud. It was a very loud album. Yes, we were going for something. I'm not sure we ever got there completely, but it was funny because and you might remember this. When the album came out, people said it was too paranoid and too dark because it presaged an America in particular that was, uh, you know, dystopic or something. And now it, they actually, I, I like to say the album didn't go far enough because I not only was I right, um, I was I was not totally right as much as I tried to be. What was your impression of the sort of the topical part of that, the political, social part of the Zeitgeist album? Because that's really what the album was after, was to try to kind of sum up this encroaching sense of loss of freedom and... You know, the technocratic state, as, as Shepard Ferry put on the uh, album cover, you know, is uh, Lady Liberty sinking into the water or rising. What was your sort of view on that at the time? Or did you were you even aware that's what I was after? I don't know if I talked to you about that at the time. No, we we, we talked about it. And we and, and I've said this many times in life that it's almost as if you're a seer because you seem to predict a lot of things that are going to happen. But you, you called that coming. I mean, you, there's a lot of things that you've called. You, I've just, I mean, you said this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And eventually it does happen. So you're pretty good about that. But it was something that you talked about and you said it was coming. And I remember 
maybe it, it maybe it was 10 years after the album came out and i and i did tell you and i'm like yeah you're right it, it all came true we were talking about everything you said happened yeah i hate to be right that's that's i like to be right in life that's one of my weaknesses but um in this particular case i hate to be right because um i love our country and and i know you love our country even though you're living somewhere else i know you love what america represents particularly in terms of culture so as a way to uh, say goodbye, I've picked this song, Never Lost For You. I was going through all the tracks of the album, and I thought, what song would I want you to hear that might comfort you in, in your darkest hours as you go through this this incredible um, health challenge? I don't want to talk about anything personal, because that's not the forum for this, but I just want to say I love you so much. And it's weird, because how can I say what I'm trying to say? I write songs for people I don't know. I don't always write songs for people I know. Sometimes my songs are just inadequate. So even though I picked this song for you, it still feels inadequate to how I care about you. And so I want to dedicate the song that we're going to play coming off the break, um, Never Lost from the Zeitgeist album, which you can't get anywhere. And there's my reasons for it. We'll get into that after the break. Anyway, Never Lost after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.
Welcome back to 33. You just listened to Never Lost from the 2007 album Zeitgeist. And Billy, you teased this right before the break. You said you can't find this album anywhere. You have your reasons for it. I want to know, why can't I just go to Target, to Best Buy, to Walmart, Amazon? Why can't I get this? Well, let's tell a little bit of story. In 2005, Jimmy and I brought the Smashing Pumpkins back, not publicly, privately. We started working on music uh, in North Scottsdale, Arizona. 
Uh, Jimmy's son, uh, Lucas, had just been born, and there were some health challenges there. So it was a difficult time for Jimmy, but he was able to come to Arizona, and we started working on the album. James was invited uh, to participate, and uh, he had declined on that. So, okay, now the Smashing Pumpkins picking back up after a five-year hiatus, after breaking up on December 2nd, 2000, are back in the saddle, albeit privately in a private home in North Scottsdale, Arizona. And there's just Jimmy and I with the drums in the living room playing music every day. We spent a lot of time looking for what I like to call the lost chord, like what is the Smashing Pumpkins? What is that sound? Uh, We certainly felt the pressure of trying to bring the Pumpkins back and knowing that only two of the four original band members would be in the band. As somebody I loved at the time and trusted told me, without three quarters of the original band, uh, you're in big trouble. You can't do the band without James, basically. They said that clearly. That definitely hurt that friendship. And then the record company at the time, which I won't name, basically threatened me in about 50 different ways that if I didn't do X, Y, and Z, they were not only not going to put out the record, they were probably going to drop us. So you can imagine you're putting the band back together, and if the record label drops you, that's going to signal to the music business that you have no future. We were under a lot of threat from a lot of different directions. So we made this record called Zeitgeist, which really ended up rounding into a lot of political and social themes, which at the time seemed very out of the norm. I was talking about a lot of stuff that involved government surveillance, being spied on uh, as an average citizen by everybody that you could think of, terms of service type of stuff. And when the album came out, it did well. It came out, it was number two in America, so it wasn't a failure. And it ended up selling 500,000 copies in an era of declining record sales. Yet the entire vibe on the album was it didn't do what everybody thought it was supposed to do, so therefore it was deemed a failure. The fans, and I'm saying this very generally, seemed to sort of go really negative on me in particular during that period of time. My reaction was to go even more negative because I thought, well, it's the Smashing Pumpkins. And if I'm not going to go there with the Smashing Pumpkins, I'm never going to go there because this is the vehicle by which to challenge the idea of what is the Smashing Pumpkins? What is Smashing Pumpkins music supposed to sound like? I mean, I'm the architect, right? And I've got people telling me it needs to sound like Siamese Dream 2 or no one's going to care. We ran into the generational buzzsaw of everyone going out and playing their old albums. So suddenly we're under this weird pressure to go out and play our old albums, which I said no to. And I got a ton of negative press on that. So Zeitgeist turned into this kind of weird thing of like, I'm being really lame about it, but like the equivalent of the guy standing there pointing, going, see, 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 I was right. The Smashing Pumpkins weren't really about Billy. They were about the four members. Billy isn't who he says he is. Billy really isn't the architect. Billy really didn't do all that music. Billy's insane. Billy's crazy. Billy's needs to go away. Billy's talking about a bunch of dark stuff. Da, 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 da. Well, here we are all these years later, Billy doesn't look so wrong and people have a better understanding of the story, including by listening to this podcast. So I got to the point where Zeitgeist was on the digital services and yet I had to constantly hear about how this album was wrong, 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 wrong. And so I just got to the point, I own the record. You know, it's my, my decision. I just took it down. I just said, to heck with all of it. I don't want to hear about it anymore. So what's really weird is the album's been off digital services for somewhere in the neighborhood of five to seven years, and people constantly ask me to put it back up because people keep saying, oh my God, this album is like some sort of weird prophetic doom thing that you did, and now you were right, and now I see where the world is going. Oh my God, now I really want to listen to this record, and now that I hear some bootleg copy or somebody's got the vinyl somewhere, people are like, oh my God, this record is a really great record and how did I miss it at the time? And it seemed so dark at the time and now it actually isn't that dark. I realize it's actually quite hopeful and blah, 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 blah. 
So that's the short version of why it's off digital services. And once I sort of get around to putting together a kind of a box set reissue, then I'll put it back up. But for the time being, it's down. You brought up two things on there that hit me. Um, Three things if I want to go here. This was actually the first time tangentially I had a connection to your music outside of just being a fan as you allowed the wrestling company I worked with at the time, Ring of Honor, to use Doomsday Clock as a pay-per-view theme song. So I remember being like, this is cool that we're doing something with Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Gorgon. Now look at us. I'm doing this with you. So A, very cool. B, I love the fact that you brought up that people gave you a lot of grief about how much of Smashing Pumpkins exists if there's only one person. I think as bands get bigger and grow on in this, I was just listening to Beach Boys the other day, at a certain point, there isn't going to be the full band that you remember. So it's kind of that idea of how much exists without everything that initially made it. You wrote the music, you wrote the songs, you were the front man. So I think that you were very valid in thinking that Smashing Pumpkins and Billy are tangentially tied. The thing I want to bring up is that's so you to spite pull down an album. To make something, create it. And also, so, but do you feel like you created, you were like, you don't appreciate it? I'm taking it away. Now that people appreciate it, are you validated or do you realize like, did I manipulate people into giving more of a, did you accidentally create demand for something that you felt wasn't there before? No. Let me, uh, let me take you through the brain of a creator type for a second. Do Um, it. And I've talked about this before. Okay. This is my relationship to art. I start with a blank piece of paper, and I've talked about this before, so if I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry. But I start with a blank piece of paper, and so before I put pen to paper or sound and chord to music, there is nothing. So once I create it, it's mine. Spiritually, I do not feel I own it to the extent that I created the music, the tonal scales, the language. I'm working with knowns, so it's my sort of interpretation of knowns. It's not like I'm creating new scales here. I'm using westernized scales. I'm using, you know, chords I stole from the Beatles or something, you know? So I'm not like some sort of subgenius that's invented something that hasn't heretofore not existed. But it's my take on it. And my take is very singular. And I think that's been proven over time. When I put something up, if people want to jump up and down on it and destroy it and cleave it in half, that's fine. That's what it's there for. It's meant to engender a response. Uh, I like how you said I rage took it down. I didn't rage take it down. I took it down because the act of taking it down is just as much an act of creation as is an act of destruction because it started with me and so it ends with me. Now, when I die, it doesn't mean the music will go into a digital hole and I hopefully they won't cancel dear old Billy Corgan like they cancel Shiny in the Autumn musical. But the act of having art or taking it away is just as much of a statement as the creation of it. And I hope that makes sense the way I'm sort of drawing it out in a straight line. So now you have the absence of zeitgeist is as much a statement as the progenesis of zeitgeist, the music. And when it comes time to put it back up, that will be another act of creation. It all really seems to come down to choices and having the abilities and the freedoms to make those choices yourself. And I think that that's a really core part of not only the album that's coming out, but a lot of what we're seeing in the world at large and what you talked about and what you sung about in Zeitgeist is just being able to have those choices for yourself instead of others dictating those choices for you. We live in in an era of digital perpetuity. You can go online and you can watch TV shows that no longer exist and everybody in the cast is dead and you can watch them for free or you can go on some Russian uh, torrent site download something that's no longer commercially available. There are movies that I go to a big site to watch and it's like, oh, it's $4.99. And then I Google a little further and I find I can watch the movie completely for free in high HD on Internet Archive or something like that. So 
who owns what right and who am I paying? And I'm never quite sure anymore. And I think we're entering into that era where everything was available, everything is free, and everything is not available, and everything is not for free. And who owns it and who controls it and who says you can watch it and who bans you and who puts a blocker on you on one website but not another? I mean, we're in that era. And um, so back to the image of Lady Liberty. I mean, is she rising or is she sinking under the water? Back to Lisa for a second, because I do want to talk about my friend Lisa. I kind of put Lisa on the spot here, and that's not a defense of me putting Lisa on the spot. Like I said, I've known Lisa now since about 2005. She's one of the brightest people I've ever known. There's a lot of stuff there that I can't talk about personally because it's stuff that she doesn't want to get into. But I thought her journey is so interesting. And this is sort of where it dovetails with Zeitgeist, right? Lisa's decided as an American who had a kind of a particular life in a particular way. She picked her life up. She moved to another country and decided to raise her son in the home country of her family, which is Thailand. Yet she's still very connected to America. She's still very connected to American culture and politics. She's a total tech nerd. I mean, she talk your head off about stars and telescopes and all that type of stuff. And it's not to diminish my friend because I see my friend in such a beautiful light. But there's so many people in Gen X that have sort of had that kind of journey of like, kind of who am I? Where am I going? And Gen X, that's what I mean by Gen X being a lost generation. And by extension, Zeitgeist is a lost album from the lost generation. Zeitgeist sold half a million copies. That's a gold album. That used to be something you could burnish on your chest as a medal. Hey, I have a gold album, right? I actually sat in an interview room once with a guy who called my gold album a failure. And I said, how is a gold album a failure? Well, you know, no one's talking about it. It's like, what do you, what do you mean? Half a million people bought the album and listened to it. It's such a weird world we live in where people can sort of digitally erase stuff, say stuff doesn't exist, say something is successful that's not successful, but something is that isn't. We talk about it in the, in the pumpkins all the time when the pumpkins kind of get shoved aside in the music business. And yet you find some entity in the architecture of the business promoting a band that can't even sell out a room of 500 tickets, but somehow they're the hot new thing and the guy's got the right t-shirt and mustache. I guess what I'm trying to say and be succinct about it, and I guess we'll probably explore it further on future podcasts, is who defines what quality is in the 21st century? That's the real debate. And I always say the future of the internet is curation. I think we're going to reach a saturation point if we're not there already, where we're just going to be so exhausted by so much information. In fact, people try to talk me out of doing this podcast because they would say, well, you're just going to be more information that people aren't going to listen to. I don't believe in that. I believe quality is the decider. And so in this particular instance, we like to curate your time. If you give us an hour, we're hopefully going to give you some information and make you laugh a little bit. And you walk away, hopefully, with a deeper appreciation of the journey of the Smashing Pumpkins and little old Bill here. Well, I think it's really helped open the door and open a conversation that maybe some people are hesitant to have in an open forum. Because when you start talking about these things and you start talking about censorship and all that, at a certain point, you get worried that you might become the target of it. And by speaking about it, whether it's against it or not, you then potentially paint that target on your back. And that could create issues in the, to where people are hesitant to have those conversations. Let me answer you in this way, and I think this is the perfect way to end this particular podcast episode. The mind F, if you can follow my gist there, the mind F of being in public is just the fact that you are opening your mouth, you are a target. Do not kid yourself that if you say the right things and you don't say the wrong things, you'll be okay. You are a target the minute you open your mouth. And there are so many people that are so gifted and so brilliant 
that never open their mouth because they're so terrified of being attacked. Uh, you used to call it flame wars and all that stuff in old internet culture, right? Getting flamed. There are so many beautiful people in this world because of the way they look or where they come from or who they love. They're so afraid to even just open their mouth and share. And that is a crime upon humanity. So speaking of myself, I am not delusional to think that if I say the right things, they won't come after me. They're going to come after me and everybody else at some point. Now, does that sound super paranoid? Yes. Is it really? No. All you have to do is look at any totalitarian construct in historical terms, and eventually the very act of opening your mouth and saying anything is a problem. And so you see what people now call commonly groupthink, where people kind of go along and say the things they think they're supposed to say. And then the tide shifts, and you see people saying what used to be groupthink six months before, and now they've run afoul of some new code where that is now some microaggression or something, 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 something splaining. That's always my favorite, splaining, something splaining. So to answer what you're saying, the very fact that Zeitgeist exists is a problem. It exists whether or not Billy Corkin has it up on the internet. It's a problem because it points to a time before this time that says and wags a little finger and says, do you see what's coming? And I said it and I took a chance. Big smashing pumpkins come back. And I took that chance and people jumped all over me and said, man, you are one dark dude. This world does not exist. And I was like, okay, watch what's coming. And here we are, and we're not even halfway through what's coming. Is that dark? Yes, but I think the world's dark. Am I dark for commenting on it? No, I'm chicken little pointing at the sky going, can you see what's happening? To finish on a positive note, I'm proud to be a creator type. I'm proud to share. I long ago faced the courage that I needed to open my mouth and just say whatever I felt was worth sharing. And back to my friend Lisa here for a second. I put my friend Lisa on the spot to talk about something that's very, very serious, which is MS. Lisa's a private person, and I put her on the spot, and I asked her to open her mouth and share, and she so beautifully, in her own way, shared what's important to her. And I think that's what I try to say every week on this podcast. I want to hear from everybody. And I don't mean hashtag hear from everybody. I really think the world is a better place when people of diverse ideas, diverse backgrounds share. I really trust the human need to want to commune. And I think we're so much better as a world people when we do, and we respect each other in that way. The idea that I disagree with what you're saying becomes the delineating point of whether or not you should say it is really, really juvenile. It's really juvenile. We all were on a schoolyard somewhere and somebody said something we didn't like. If that's the point of cancelization, again, not a word, then we're lost. We're lost. And that's why I chose the song Never Lost, right? We're lost because. Sometimes we have to contemplate the stupidity that's coming at us. Oftentimes, because we work in professional wrestling, the heel has a point. The heel goes at the champion and says, you're scared. You're scared of losing your championship. Well, what champion isn't scared of losing their championship? The heel is speaking truth, but the heel is speaking truth because the heel wants to get something. The heel's not speaking it from his heart. He's speaking it from a place of advantage. Sometimes we have to sort through the ugly things to figure out where it's coming from. And oftentimes beautiful people can say ugly things for the wrong, right reasons. Again, not a word. And when we lose the ability to have that kind of difficult, kind of lumpy part of the conversation to get to the other side, 
we're lost. We are lost, lost, lost. And Lady Liberty, in that case, is sinking into the water. She is not rising. I think that's a good place for us to leave it. And to go back a little bit to talk about professional wrestling, I just want to remind our fans that live in the greater New Orleans area, this weekend you can help support Billy Corgan's company, the National Wrestling Alliance. We have two shows coming up, Hard Times 3 and Revolution Rumble. That's going to be November 12th and 13th at the Frederick Seeger uh, Civic Center in Chalmette, Louisiana. Tickets are available at nwatix.com. Is that right, Kyle? That is absolutely correct. Also, if you love all this, I know Billy said it. He wants to hear from you. He loves the dialogue, and we do too. Use the hashtag WPC33. Spell it out. You can follow Joe Galley on Instagram, at Joe Galley, and Twitter, at Joe Galley News. I'm online as at Kyle Davis, ATL. Don't name your Twitter handle with a place you live. You're going to move at some point. And most importantly, Billy Corgan's on Twitter at Billy and Instagram at Billy Corgan. Stop by smashingpumpkins.com for merch and spirits on fire tour dates. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening via iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you're not satiated, WPC 33 to continue the conversation. Playlist lyrics more on everything that is Smashing Pumpkins. Billy, as always, you took the time. You shared who you are with the world. We thank you for that. What are you going to end us on? Go to madamzuzus.com for all your needs. <laughs> you, got me, you got me in the plug mood there, Joe. I was like, oh, this is so good. We're plugging the, the, uh, the wrestling. Now we're going to plug Madam Zuzus. Christmas is coming. We'll be offering all sorts of cool stuff. Madamzuzus.com. Lots of love to everybody. Talk to you soon. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.